continue in my series on the church today as we look at Acts chapter 2. If you have your copy of God's Word, I invite you to open uh, your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. And uh, so far uh, in this series on the church, we've looked at several things. I've given you a simple definition of what a church is, uh, a local group of believers that unite for worship and mission. I've talked about both of those. I had a sermon on mission. That's how we started, uh, started this series, talking about the mission of the church. I had a, uh, uh, a sermon last week on worship. We talked about the importance of worship. And then squeezed in the middle, we looked at that passage where uh, Peter said, uh, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God, and, on this, and Jesus said, on this rock I'll build my church. Uh, those three sermons, I feel like, give us a good snapshot of what a church is. And I think it's important for us to learn about the church and study about the church. And so today, I want to talk to you about characteristics of a true church. Characteristics of a true church. Last week, we talked about how worship was something on the inside. There's something very subjective about how we worship God. But uh, on the outside, there are some things that we should look at, that we should uh, evaluate about any church that we have been a part of. Some of you here today have been a part of Stephen Street for years and years and years and years. Um, I doubt that there's, there might be a few people here today that would say Stephen Street's the only church that I have ever been to, um, but uh, most of us have been to a lot of different churches. And uh, in all likelihood, you're probably at some point in your life when you grow older or you move away, you might go to another church. And so by us looking at these characteristics of what a true church is, it helps us to evaluate what to look for in a church. We know that there are true churches... And there are false churches. Uh, this is true in a lot of different things in life. Obviously, we don't want to go to a false church. Um, outside of that, there are churches that we could say are more pure and churches that are less pure. We could, we could look at some of the characteristics that we're going to look at today, and we could say, you know, I know of a church or some churches or maybe our church that is, is more pure, more in line with what the Bible says a church should be. But you probably, after we look at these characteristics, you could say, you know, I've been a part of churches that were less than pure, less than ideal. And so I thought about, okay, so how could I, how could I illustrate that? And so uh, I brought some groceries to the stage because uh, all of us have been spending a lot of money on groceries lately. And I thought about how could, we, how could we illustrate something that is true or something that is false, something that is more pure and something that is less pure. Well, first, I want to show you the greatest cereal that God has ever blessed human beings with. Okay, thank you very much. Cinnamon Toast Crunch. I've been eating these for 49, sorry, 39 years. I have been eating these, really 49. I've been eating these all my life, and everybody knows they're good. But man, I'll tell you something, during these hard times, they come out with these generic, less than pure brands of cereal. Now, how many of you in these frugal, thrifty times have had to say, you know what, I have to just maybe kind of scale back a little bit of my income. I can save a couple of bucks on that. We also do that with other things like uh, potato chips. I mean, you can get these for $1.99, and it even says, take your savings to the bank. These don't taste good. They lie to you when they put a pig on the front. 
That's, that's meant to represent savings, uh, not taste. But man, let me tell you what. There are these pure, wonderful, awesome, incredible chips that you can buy. They are pure and don't, mmm, they're just so good. And of course, I've got some other things in here, but let me tell you something. There are some things that are just absolutely false. They're not just impure, they're false. Things like turkey bacon. <laughs> Y'all, this ain't bacon, it's not bacon. And I will tell you, uh, my family's going to eat the rest of this. This, this right here, my family's going to eat the rest of this. If anybody would want to come get this turkey bacon, if you're, I don't know, I'd be embarrassed for you if you want that. But, I mean, there's just something about that that's just false. It's just not true. And there's, uh, there's this, 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 we could, you know, I'm just having fun, but we could talk about in other areas of life things that are more true or less true, things that are pure, things that are impure. There are churches out there that are false, and we can easily identify that by, by comparing them against what the Bible says. And what we're striving to do, even though we're not going to be a perfect church, and you're not going to find a perfect church, we want to be as pure of a church as possible. So how do we accomplish that? How, how, do we, how do we become as pure and as tasteful to the world? We want to be the aroma of Christ. How, how do we become as pure as possible as a church? Now there's some ways to go at it. You can read books, right? You can read some books. Uh, I've got some books on my shelf. Here's a picture of some books on my shelf that'll give you a bunch of, uh, help you see a bunch of models of what they would call a, a good church. I don't know how many of these books I have on my shelf. I mean, Simple Church, Purpose Driven Church, Breakout Churches, Convergent Church. Uh, I mean, it just goes on and on and on and on and on. You could read all those books. Or we could just read five books or six short verses from the Bible, from Acts chapter 2, that give us a bird's eye view of a church of purity, a true church in all of its purity that hasn't been watered down, that doesn't have any additives that have, that have unpurified it, and uh, that is this early church in Acts chapter 2. It is about the best view that we can get of a church in its perfection as is available to us. We're not going to find it in a book. We're not going to find it by church hopping around looking for the best church. So what we're going to look at, we're going to look at these, we're going to look at these, these six characteristics, and there's a lot of different ways to to package the things that we see in Acts chapter 2. We're going to look at these six characteristics that can give us a snapshot, a bird's eye view of a church in as much purity as we're going to be able to find. So stand with me as, as we read these verses in Acts chapter 2. And we're going to start reading in verse 42. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. This is the first gathering of Christians after the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was sent, Peter preached a great sermon. A lot of people got saved. And this is the first gatherings of the very first Christians. And look at what it looks like. You tell me if you would want to go to a church like this. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching 
and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. And all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let's pray. God, I, I know that there's no church that's perfect. I know that we're not perfect. But God, would you help us to strive to be as pure and as a holy of a bride as we could possibly be for you? God, we are the bride of Christ. May we be spotless. May we be without wrinkle. God, may you help us to see exactly that to which you have called us to be as individuals and as a church. And we offer this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Now, like I said before, no church is perfect. No church is perfect. You're always going to find a church that needs work. In fact, when you look at churches in the New Testament, you find churches that need a lot of work. You find churches that are infected with false doctrine. You find churches that, are, that have disunity. Uh, you find all types of churches in the New Testament. The church at Ephesus, the church at Colossus. I mean, think about, uh, think about the church at Corinth. Man, the church at Corinth was a mess. Morally, spiritually, relationally, theologically. I mean, they were a mess. So there is no perfect church. And even, even this church right here in Acts, they face some problems even right out the gate, that story of Ananias and Sapphira. And so we know there's no perfect church. However, we still want to try, strive to be as pure and as perfect as we can. And so these six characteristics that we're going to look at today, they form the basis of the things that we need to look for in a church, and they also need, uh, need to form the basis for things that we want to try to create in our church and in whatever church we might find ourselves. And let me just... Let me just go ahead and let me just go ahead and give the six things to you, um, because really, I mean, I could spend six weeks on each one of these. But let me just give them to you. And on the back of your bulletin, I should have just given them to you rather than giving them the blanks. Um, but he, here they are: personal devotion, sound doctrine, relational unity, spiritual power, uncommon generosity and fruitfulness in ministry. Now certainly we could point to other things like prayer. I mean, there's, there's, a, there's, there's a lot of different things. We could use the word missions. Uh, certainly we could use the word worship like we have. But we see these six characteristics that really they just kind of, they just kind of jump off the page. And the first one has to do with devotion. I think everything kind of starts and finishes here. I mean, there has to be a measure of devotion among church members, a measure of personal godliness in order for a church to be healthy. And, and that's what we see in this early church in Acts. We see a church that is healthy. And so when the Bible says that they devoted themselves, this word, this word devoted, I think is a great word. This word devoted means to be persistent and to, uh, to be obstinate, to be obstinately 
persistent at something. So if, if we were just going to say this in our own language, we would say uh, it's to be hard-headed. To be hard-headed. Now, to some, of you, to some of us, that comes natural. We know how to be hard-headed. Uh, the problem is not learning how to be hard-headed. Or, or the problem is not try to stop being hard-headed. Being hard-headed is good if you're hard-headed for the right things. And the Bible says that this group of Christians, they were obstinately devoted. They were hard-headed in their commitment to several things. And um, they weren't lazy, they weren't lethargic, uh, they were fervent in spirit. And one of the things that they were hard-headed and persistently devoted to was to sound doctrine. The Bible says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The easiest way that I can explain this is that they had a devotion, what you and I would call a devotion to the written Word of God. You say, now wait a minute, there wasn't a New Testament back then. No, there was not a New Testament. What you had were 12 or 13 guys who were going to write for us the New Testament. These apostles... And, and let, me just, let me just go ahead and say this. There was something unique about these apostles, these 12 or 13 or, 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 or 14. I'm not really sure how many of these. Uh, we had a, a discussion about that one time, didn't we, about how many, uh, about how many there were. Um, there was something special about them, something unique about them that has never been true about anybody else. God used them to be the writers of Scripture. In other words, we have the apostles' teaching, except you don't, you don't get it necessarily from man. You get it, even though I hope that what I preach is the Word of God, I strive for it to be. You have the apostles' teaching right here in the New Testament. Um, if you want to know what God says, you go to the Word of God. So a mark of a true church is to be obstinately persistent and faithful to God's Word. I hope this is the case for you in your personal spiritual life. In your personal spiritual life. I hope that you would say, I don't care what anybody says. I don't care what I feel. I don't care what I think. I don't care what the world says is true or what the world says is not true. I believe Scripture. I will live it, I will affirm it, I will embrace it. That's what you're called to do as Christians, and that's what we're called to do as a church. You can recognize a church that is, uh, that is less than pure or less than true or maybe even a false church because they begin to drift away from the Word of God. And I don't care if it becomes boring. I don't care if it becomes stale. The only thing of substance that is authoritative that we have to say comes directly from the Word of God. Please, somebody say amen. Thank you. I was a little weak, but I'll take it. So, if you come across a church that doesn't believe that this Bible is true, doesn't believe that it is inerrant, and does not actually in practice provide you with its teaching, you probably, uh, you probably don't, uh, probably don't want to be a part of that church. Uh, nothing builds faith and personal holiness more than the Word of God. In fact, you want to kill a church? Just let it drift away from the Word of God and it will wither up and die. Uh, so this second one, relational unity, is just as dangerous in, in guarding, the, uh, uh, guarding the purity and the trueness of a church. 
A true church will have a measure of relational unity. This does not mean that there won't be disagreements with people. This does not mean that there is just blind agreement with everything that everyone says. But generally speaking, a true church would be a church that loves each other and is obstinately devoted to each other, to gathering with each other, to being with each other. A false church, on the other hand, or let's just say, uh, let's just say a church that is not as pure is going to be constantly plagued with infighting and arguing and uh, unforgiveness and bitterness and rage and malice and all of those things that the New Testament warns us about. If you want to look at, and I've said this before, if you want to look at the two biggest warnings that Scripture gives to a church, it's beware of false teachers, guard your doctrine, and beware of disunity. Don't fight among each other. A true church wants to be together. They love the fellowship. They're, they're, they're with one another. You see how, how they were together with each other. This is part, this relational unity is one of the reasons that God saved you. In 1 John, um, uh, who was an apostle, he says, We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. The whole reason that we hear and respond to the gospel is so that we can be in a relationship with God and so that we can have uh, relationships with each other. Now, let me, now, now let, me take a, let me take a rabbit trail. Let me talk to my teenagers for a minute. Um, you guys, you know, you, hi, you know where y'all find this? You find this with your youth group. That's where you find this. You've, this type of relational Christian community, you, you are supposed to find this at your age. You find this by connecting with and being faithful to each other, being faithful to your student ministry, being obstinately devoted to each other now sets the stage when you're an adult to let be obstinately devoted to your whole church. Now we know that you're a part of our church and we know we know that part and and Micah is he is he is so adamant on that point that you guys are a part of our church. But the truth is you're going to do Bible studies, you're going to do mission trips, you're going to do all those things with each other and you need to be devoted to each other and to the ministry of students, just like uh, just like these people were to each other. Anyway, that was just kind of uh, kind of an aside. But look at what they did. They had hospitality. They ate with each other. They prayed with each other. I mean, those could be those could be characteristics right there. I mean, how important is prayer to a true church? I can't tell you how many people come up to me and say. Um, I've been praying for you. And it means so much. Please pray for me. Pray for me to be godly. Pray for me to, 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 uh, to do what I need to do in order to, in order to present the Word of God and to lead. I love that. We do that for each other. Pray for each other. You do this in your life groups. You pray for each other. You support one another. You bond. And you need to take initiative. You need to take initiative in doing this. Okay? Some of you, some of you like coming to a big church where you can remain anonymous. That's not God's intention for you. Some of you say, well, I'm an introvert. I don't like talking to people. No one is excluded in this. You need to get involved. You need to connect. You need to share yourself with others. Let other people open up to you. That is the purpose for why God has called us. This next one, spiritual power. 
Spiritual power. How many of you could use how many of you could use more spiritual power in your life? Man, one of the great ways that we saw spiritual power played out right before our eyes this morning was with one of our deacons who baptized someone that he had a spiritual conversation with on the job. Y'all, that's, that's, like one of the, that's like one of the best spiritual examples, one of the best missional examples that you have seen today. Very few people get saved in this building. They get saved out there because we share the gospel with them out there. And then when they come into our fellowship, we celebrate what God has done. There's nothing more spiritually powerful than someone getting saved. Nothing. And we want to see this more in our church. And the Bible says that this very first church, that there was a lot of, there was a lot of signs and wonders that were being done through the apostles. Now, I'm not an apostle. There's no more apostles. Um, so we don't look to man for these things. But we still look to God for spiritual power. It may not be as flamboyant. It may not be as expressive. You know, our God, our God is spiritually powerful in all types of ways. Sometimes He parts seas and rends mountains in half, and sometimes He speaks in a gentle whisper. And when we look all through the ministry of Jesus and all throughout the book of Acts, sure, we see some big things that God does. And when we, when we, when we see those as a church, we want to celebrate them. We want to look for them. But there's also some more subtle things, behind-the-scenes things. There was, there was no one around that saw Philip baptize the Ethiopian eunuch. I mean, these are things that we look for. These are things that we want to happen. We want to see spiritual power, not just emotionalism. Listen, if you're, show, if you're, show, if, if you're, if you're coming for an entertaining emotional show, this, this is probably not going to be, the, probably not gonna be, the, be the church for you. You can find better speakers. You can find better music. You can, you can find all that. We, we, don't, we don't value that as highly as we want to know that God, the Holy Spirit, is at work inside of you. And the best way that that can happen is for us to give you God's truth and give you to each other in relational unity. And all of a sudden, something powerful and truly transformative begins to happen in your life. God's called you to bond with each other. He's called you to bond with each other. If that's not happening for you here, then maybe you need to take more initiative. Or maybe, uh, I don't know what needs to happen, but that's part of what God has called us to. And then this next one, look at this. Um, a true church is going to be characterized by uncommon generosity. You show me someone that really loves the Lord, and I'll show you an individual that is financially responsible and open-handed, both with individuals and with God's work. You show me a church that is in its purest form, and I'll show you a church that's generous, and a church that, a church that gives, a church that is selfless, and says, we want to give ourselves away for others and, and, and for the common good. And uh, by the way, speaking of having all things in common, these guys, uh, this is not something we can really duplicate, but it is something that we can imitate. We're not going to all personally lump everything that we own all together, um, but we do have a common fund by which we gather resources so that we can help people and minister to people and do missions. 
We have our church budget. We have the Go offering. We have the care center that's just right across our parking lot. These are things that we ask you to give to. We don't necessarily have all things in common, all things in common, but we can still have an uncommon generosity in the way that we give and the way that we, uh, the way that we provide for needs. And by the way, Jesus is a perfect example of all of this. I mean, God sent Jesus to die on a cross. Everything, All these characteristics we see perfectly and beautifully exhibited in the gospel. And then this last one, so fruitfulness in ministry. And as you can see, we could, I mean, I mean, we spent a lot of time talking about every one of these characteristics. I'm presenting all of them at once because that's what Scripture does. Scripture gives us a high-level, compressed, bird's-eye view of all of these things without really much explanation. But fruitfulness in ministry is really what we want to see as a result of any church that we become a part of. Uh, we want to see God doing things. We want to see needs met, uh, like needs that are met at our care center. We want to see the Lord add to our number. We want to see God bring salvation, uh, just like we saw in the baptistry today. We want to see this type of fruitfulness, and, uh, and, and that's ultimately a result of our church being healthy. You know, it's in vogue this past 30 years or so during the church growth movement uh, to, to really drive towards trying to make your church bigger. And that became the priority. Make the church bigger. Get more people in the baptistry, more people in membership classes, more people in pews, add more worship services, add more campuses, make the mechanism bigger and bigger. And I think what we've done over the past 30, 40, 50 years um, in, in the church culture, not necessarily in our church culture, but in the church culture in America, is we have prioritized church growth over church health. But when we look at this church in Acts, they're not preoccupied with getting bigger. They just, they're just focusing on trying to be healthy trying to love the Lord, trying to embrace sound doctrine, be devoted to Scripture, love one another, care for one another, give, and do, do, do all of these things. And then the result is something amazing. I mean, day by day, people were being saved. I think that's about as perfect as you can get for a church as far as success in ministry. Day by day, people were being saved. It's like it happened every single day. Now, these are all things that we pray for. These are all things that we want. We want all these things for us as a group. But let me, let me, let me bring it to the personal application, okay? A true church will also help these things be true about your personal spiritual life. So I've taken these six characteristics and I've kind, of, I've kind of packaged them in a way for personal application. If One of the purposes of you being a part of a true church is so that you can be personally devoted to God. That you, you can be personally devoted to Him to leading to holiness. This is what your church wants for you. By the way, this is what I want for you. This is what all seven of your pastors want for you. This is what your deacons and your church leaders and your life groups want for you. First and foremost, we want you to be saved and we want you to be godly. We believe that the best way for that to happen, and really honestly, the only way for that to happen, is for you to know and understand God's truth as revealed in Scripture. I don't want you to just show up and, 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 and listen to me 
work through Scripture every week. What I want you to do is have your appetite uh, your appetite wet so that this week and every week you can begin to work through Scripture on your own. You know, that's really the only thing my, sermon do, my sermons do. I don't really come up with them. I just kind of follow what the Bible says. And I just kind of, and every now and then I have a, you know, a stupid illustration about turkey bacon that's really just meant to draw your attention back to Scripture. I don't invent these sermons. I don't come, they're just right there, word for word in the Bible. I plagiarize every single sermon from Scripture. From Scripture, that's all I want to say because I want you to see that everything that I'm trying to say comes from Scripture so that you will say, well, you know what? I can do that. And then you go home and you begin to read it every day. And so a true church is going to help you with that. A true church is going to want you to connect with each other, not just show up for ministries. It's not enough for you to just come and sit in a pew. It's not enough for you to just check a box and say, yes, I attended life group today. Um, what we want you to do is relationally connect with others. We want, and, and the way that we try to help you, and we call it finding community in our pathway, in our process. Uh, we want you to find community, and we've kind of set up our life groups that way. But that's not the only way. If you come to church 15 minutes early... And for those of you who can't make it 15 minutes early, you know, you can, you can always stay, and I'm not, I'm not calling anybody out or anything, um, you can always stay 15 minutes late and just talk to people. Do you know that, that it, odds are if you go up to somebody and you say, hey, I've never met you before, they're probably going to say, yeah, I've probably never met you before either. They're probably just waiting on you to come up and talk to them. Um, there's lots of things that you can do. You can hang out in the lobby. You can sign up for a fellowship. You can, of course, go to a lot. There's a lot of things that you can do to relationally connect with people. God wants you to share yourself with others. There are all types of things that you struggle with, and this is the place, and these are the people that can help you. You can receive some help from what we do from the stage. I mean, I hope that the preaching of the Word of God and the leading in worship, I hope that helps you. But you also need the people. You need the people that are sitting next to you. You need to connect with them. Share your life with them. Listen to what's going on in their life. And you share what's going on in your life. And you all help each other. Encourage one another. These are one of the things that a true church will help facilitate for you. Um, God's power. I've talked about that. Um, you know, this is... This is not just emotionalism. We don't, we don't show up for a show. We don't have smoke machines and, you know, mosh pits and people headbanging. And, you know, I mean, we don't, we, we just, we just trying to do the best we can to point you to Jesus in the songs that we sing and the way that we, the way that we arrange the stage and the word as it's presented, the screens that we use. We don't, we don't want any of, any of them to be so flashy that you would say, oh man, my church is awesome because it has awesome stuff or awesome people. We want you to leave saying, man, Jesus is awesome. And if we can accomplish that, then there's, there's, some, there, there's a power behind that. There's a power behind that that's transformative, even if it's not flashy and even if it's, even if it's, not, even if it's not flamboyant. And a true church, a true church is going to ask you to give. 
I remember, I've shared this with you guys before, I remember when I first became a senior pastor, and I remember going out to lunch with my wife, and I remember sitting, and I heard the people next to me, at the table next to me, who had just left church, they not my church, but they left another church, and they were like, he's preaching on money again. And I was like, like, people are not going to like me. And now I'm over it. Like, I, I mean, that was 15, 20 years ago. I am way over it. I mean, a true church is going to ask you to give. Now, I'm not going to give you silly promises. Like, God's going to make you healthy and wealthy if you give to us. Everything's going to be okay if you just, you know, give to us. We're not, we're not preaching that gospel. We're not preaching. That's a false gospel. You might give everything you own and then die of cancer tomorrow. But the Bible, the Bible tells us to have a generous heart, and a true church is going to ask you to give. A true church is going to ask you to give a lot. A true church is going to say it's an act of worship. Every godly person I know is a generous person. Every true, true church I've been a part of um, is, is a generous giving church. And then a true church is going to ask you to participate in the mission of the church. A true church is not just going to say, oh, you just sit there and relax. And we have some professionals that are out doing the ministry for you. Uh, we have missionaries that are reaching the lost. We have special of, of people that are gifted for evangelism uh, that are doing that for you. We'll handle all the preaching and do all that. You just sit back and relax. No, that's not what a true church is going to do. A true church is going to say, you, you, you need to be involved in the mission. Amen, Rick? A true, true church is going to say, we want you to be involved. We want the Lord to use you to help add to the number. We want the Lord to use you to help meet needs. A true church is going to, is, is going to drive you towards all of these things and a lot more. I mean, this is just, a, this is just, this is just my summary of this passage, this one passage but a church is going to drive you towards these things and not all the externals sometimes that we see, at a, uh, that we see in, in, in some churches today. We want to be a pure church, a true church. And these are among the things that help you to be a, a pure Christian and that lead to us finding purity as a church. But I'm going to tell you something. If you don't know Jesus as Savior, if you've never been saved, none of that is ever going to happen in your life. None of that is ever going to happen in your life. You'll never, be, you'll never be personally devoted to God, no matter how much you try. You'll never find a real heart connection with people in this world. Not really. Not the way that God designed it for His people. You'll, you'll, you'll never really truly be generous. I mean, you might want to give with an ulterior motive. You'll never have the power of God in your life. I mean, none of, none of these things are going to be true about your life if you don't know Jesus as Savior. And you know, this is one of the reasons that we want to make sure when someone joins our church that they do know Jesus as Savior. This is like the last step in our membership process. The last step in our membership process is we ask you to share your testimony. I'll talk more about this next week whenever I talk about church membership. We ask you to share your personal testimony. Some people say, well, I got saved last week. Some people say, I got saved when I was three. But we want to know that everyone's saved. We know that everyone knows Jesus. In fact, this is what we want more than anything else for every person to come to know Jesus as Savior. And you can't have any of this unless you truly know Christ, unless you truly know Him. And I wonder, I wonder today sometimes if, if people really want these things. I wonder, I wonder sometimes if people just get so caught up and so tied up in religion they just kind of want to feel good about themselves. They kind of want to punch their ticket to heaven. 
that they, they don't, they're not really looking for these things. And that could be an indicator that you don't know Christ, that you don't know Jesus as Savior. I remember the day that Jesus changed my life. None of these things were true about me until that day that I called upon Jesus. Something truly spiritual began to happen in me. And I began to read the Bible with different eyes. I began to understand the truth of Scripture. I began to have this heart longing to be around the people of God. I mean, all of these things began to unleash in my life as I became more personally devoted. I never had anything of spiritual substance happen in me. There was no spiritual power in my life until I called on Jesus and was saved. I certainly wasn't interested in being generous. I was interested in people giving to me. I was not interested in doing anything for others. And the mission of the church, I had never even heard about that until I came to know Jesus as Savior. Right now, today, you can come to know Christ. It's this very moment, this very instant. All of this can start. I'm not saying all of it's going to be splashed on you and you're going to be a perfect Christian because we don't know any of those. And if you're looking for some of those, you're not going to find them here. If you're looking for a perfect church, you're not going to find them here. And you're certainly never going to become one of those. But all of this can begin in your life. All of this can begin in your life right now. If you will say and mean a commitment to God through prayer in faith. If you will call upon Jesus and ask Him to save you. Truly mean it. The Bible says anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And here, here's the key. It's not what you pray. It's not the words that you use to pray with. It's not the prayer. It is the posture, like I talked about last week, the posture and the position of the heart. And that's the difficult, that's, that's, that's the difficult part. You have to be willing to come to Jesus and say, I give everything up. Everything that I am, everything that I want, everything that I desire. You have to be willing to give up all of that. The same way that Jesus gave up his life on a cross, you have to give up your life under the shadow of the cross. You have to say, God, I am not my own anymore. You are going to be my Lord from now on. If you have that in your heart, it is evidence that God is at work in you. And if you'll call on the name of Jesus right now, you can be saved. Let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. And if you need to call upon Jesus right now, right there where you're sitting, you just and, and no one's looking at you, no one's paying attention to you, you can just whisper a prayer to God, or you can say it in your mind, or say it in your heart. You can just whisper a prayer to God and say, God, I give up. God, I surrender. I'm done trying. Everything that I am and everything that I want, everything that I desire belongs to you. Or you could just say, Jesus, save me. For those of you who are believers here today, what is something that you would pray for your church, for us? What is something that you would pray? Would it be related to devotion, to the Word? to relational unity, generosity, mission? What would it be? Pray for your church right now. Pray for your church to be pure. What is it that is a barrier in you right now? 
that might be keeping you as an individual from living as a Christian or to be keeping you from bonding with the body of Christ the way that God wants you to be. Pray about that. If you need to come and kneel at this altar, I want to welcome you to do that. We're going to spend a, a silent moment in prayer, and then Andy's going to sing. If at any time you want to come and kneel and pray, please feel free to do that. You just spend a few moments in prayer, then we'll sing.